So how are you enjoying the data sets? <laughs> Some of them are putting so much effort in this. Uh, so I, I hope that uh, that you are excited about the data. Yes, it's very interesting. Very interesting has a different meaning in English. So you have to be excited, it's not just Torture the data until it confesses. Uh, with this homework, you have that kind of torture the data until it confesses. And look at the children's measurements of different ages. Uh, so the point is really that you have to find the ways to tell stories about the data. There are some techniques that can help you to work with the data, but the interpretation and stories you have to come up with. Just putting a graph there, oh, I did this bloody block spot for you, and that's it. <laughs> you have to find such cases where you can say, so like uh, the story behind there is this and that. And sometimes data does not confess. Um, sometimes what you want to find from there is not there. Um, but then you have to then you have to be somehow very very confident that you really have tried every uh, possible uh, means. So um, in statistics, uh, it, the course is really not only about statistics or probability theory, it's just to give a little bit of uh, intuition how to think about the world. In statistics, um, as you know, this normal distribution is very common uh, for many um, objective measurements of the similar type of data. Uh, they follow these uh, uh, standard normal uh, distributions. But uh, um, you could try, for example, when you have this homework uh, this week with the children's uh, data, if you take all the uh, heights or weights, they probably do not follow the normal distribution. You have, to, you have to compare the comparables. You have to compare the children of the same age, uh, children of the same gender. Uh, but if once they do follow them, then we have uh, powerful, um, powerful statistics that would help us to tell something like that. If this is the normal way how your data looks like, and you have some data point in here, then you can put some uh, statistical significance to this. Oh, this is really, this I would not expect from random data. If, you, if this is your random data and your observation is in here, this clearly is um, an outlier to some, uh, to some confidence level of p-value or of probability. Um, in the normal random data, I would be summarizing this 
crowd, but if I, if I get in here, this is a very low chance that that would occur by random occurrence. Uh, the problem is that if you are given many tries, many, 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 many tries, then you will win a bit lottery. Not with one or two tickets, but somebody almost always wins, right? Over the many uh, tries, uh, there are some outliers that are exceptional, and uh, this always happens. So in that case, uh, for individuals, that might be a lucky strike. <coughs> but on the other hand, if you try too hard massaging the data, then you will always find something that seems uh, statistical, unless we start correcting for this multiple testing correction. Um, and uh, especially in the coin tossing, yeah? so you, you, you have a coin, I would ask you, what is, would you put your life on that having ten heads in a corner row? No. But if I give you million tries, uh, a million times you throw ten coins, what is the probability that you will observe once the ten heads in a row? Out of million tries. I don't know by how by half of this value, but if you try many times, then sometimes uh, you're sure uh, certain that some of these events will happen. Even if it's 0.1% chance, that means one in thousand. If I give you 10,000 tries, then you can be almost certain that, oh, maybe I will get up to 10 times the lucky strike in here. Uh, so sometimes when you observe something, when you try really hard, uh, try to fit some model really hard on the data, then you may overfit and start believing that you know uh, what will be there, but that can be also just your uh, statistical charts. Um, we are in the discussion of uh, um, visualization, uh, visual exploration of the data, sort of exploratory data analysis. You, you take the data, you want to have a look at the data, and what you have been, what you have been looking at is uh, these uh, density distributions, uh, histograms, uh, kernel density estimations, uh, dot plots, Let's say x and y compare x and y, um, but we have so much uh, need for comparing data, uh, the, the actual data to the expected distributions, or if this is the expected distribution, then you can plot, compare your uh, histogram, it is uh, the radical curve, you can compare your kernel density estimation with this uh, theoretical curve and try to see if there are any shifts. Uh, does your theoretical uh, formula give the same as what you would observe uh, from the data? Uh, one way to, to 
theoretically is, uh, is to start uh, uh, looking at comparing your, your data values to the expected um, um, sort of compare action value to the expected or compare one data set with the other data sets how the, whether they are similar or not. Uh, what is in here is uh, sort of like probability or with a probability uh, probability uh, or cumulative density function. So what is the probability to be here or there? If you take 10% percentile, my 10% of the values will be smaller, uh, and I have 90% values that are larger, I would be somewhere in here, but I can compare uh, what is the actual data point uh, compared to this theoretical curve. So I can start plotting the, the points. The first point, uh, as expected, would be somewhere in here, but compare this, uh, how do you say this? If these are the actual points, and somehow in here I say the, the probability or, or, or where I expect, I, I would expect it to be at this point, if, if my value is at where I would expect it to be, I would be on this diagonal, right? And my middle value, I ex expect to be on this location, then I would be on the diagonal. In truth, it could be something like this. My data could be plotted uh, slightly off from the diagonal. So in here, uh, I should be at median level, median would be estimated to be in here, but I'm higher. So there have been uh, there have been more values up until this point. Uh, the real data that brings me higher from the estimate in here. So there have been more values uh, that uh, as compared to the expected. And in here there has been less values compared to what would be expected. So you can compare the actual data to what, where would you expect to be. And this is uh, called something which is QQPlot quantile. So basically trying to compare my different percentiles or quantiles, 25% uh, quantile or 1%, 2%, 3% quantile to my data. Or two distribution, one having million points and the other having 100 points. I can see my first point in, in the small data and million points in the other, so there will be 10,000 points before that. So how, how my first and 10,000 point compare? How my second and 20,000 point compare? So it's actually possible to compare different data sets of different sizes and uh, beat them compare uh, uh, kind of like uh, comparing the oranges and apples, um, I, I take uh, the tenth orange and the tenth apple, how their sizes compare. I take the, the 50th percent or median size I compare. So I can, uh, you can compare somehow the distribution. Um, and uh, it may seem that looking at histogram, of course, this uh, resembles the normal distribution. 
and this resembles something that is opposite. So we have many small values, many large values, but less in the middle. So you, you have been used and accustomed to look at these histograms right now, right? But the respective data on the QQ plot uh, would be in here. So actually, my my tenth percent of param somewhere in here, this data point in here is already much larger than I would expect if that distribution would be flat. If that distribution would be flat, then there would be many more data points that are small. In fact, we have very few that are small and they raise very quickly. So they, there are fewer data that are small and my data values, when I look at the 10th percent already, these are already quite large, much larger than what I would, what I would expect from the uniform distribution. So this and this plot are kind of equal. And likewise, this and this, it says that I take maybe 20% of the values, and look, this is very this is still a very small value because the value is in here. This is still a very small value, much smaller than I would expect from the uniform distribution. If this is the uniform distribution in here. It would be possible to have not uniform distribution in here, but also say that I would like to fit it against the normal distribution, and then uh, the radical theoretical model could be according to the normal distribution. And then you would get probably something that would be very, clo uh, very close to the uh, diagonal all the time. But uh, this allows to compare like March and July and uh, look what is happening, sort of like there is how to interpret this, yeah? Uh, this is the weather stations. Stations. Quanta is more close to space in July than in March. In July, the, the data is uh, is uh, more homogeneous temperatures, I think, um, uh, than compared to March. Um, so, I, if I take March value and July value, then um, there have been there have been, which way there has been less, uh, less values. Um, in July, it takes me higher, so basically, uh, less values that are small in July, the temperatures are uh, like higher in July um, in this way. If you, if you start uh, Googling, just QQ plot, very useful is to Google for images. Uh, on these different graphs, and then you get loads of different examples there, their distributions. So data has been plotted against some uh, some lines. You can plot, uh, you can compare data to data, or data to to expected cumulative distributions, and and see how your data gets skewed at the high end of the values. You can observe 
multipliers, um, etc. So, so the QQ plot is something which is kind of you don't need uh, many parameters, or you don't need any parameters. It's parameter-free, non-parametric comparison of data um, without much assumptions about the uh, underlying distributions, except that one has to estimate uh, these quantiles. So th this, this type of QQ plot allows to compare to independent data sets and just try to overlay uh, the distributions <laughs> on the XY plot. You don't have XY values. You have one data set, one set of values, the other data set, the other set of values. You can't compare how this compares to that. You both you sort them, you compare them, and you, you look at the 10%, 10%, and then you plot those values. And all kinds of different uh, skews in the data, uh, uh, strange uh, that they clearly follow some different differences in different locations. This is this March July example, or some other examples. Uh, if they would be identical distributions, uh, then they would be on the diagonal line. Okay, um, so I think for this QQ plot, we will we will find some some homework that uh, that you have to work uh, with these uh, data uh, by yourself. A little bit similar, but uh, this is one one gra uh, uh, graph that we we had in our own uh, paper research uh, research paper. Then I, I tried to explain you what is the what is behind there. So this is about uh, protein interactions. Which protein may uh, interact with the others? Interacting when they touch, they have been uh, forming protein complex. They have been measuring by some technique that these two proteins have been interacting. So there is a list of protein-protein interactions. At that time, it was done in the East. First data set identified some 5,000 interacting pairs. It's a big thing. Well, uh, you have protein complexes. You have some different types of interactions. And yeast is very useful because that brews alcohol for you in the beer or, uh, or wine. So which proteins interact? The genome is small. It can be measured. The question was, if two proteins interact, they better be present both in the cell. Right? Otherwise, they can't interact. Otherwise, it's useless interaction. One is there, the other is not. They never meet. Right? They should be both present in the, in, the, in the cell. And the question was, uh, we had another type of data which measured the activity of genes in the cells by measuring if from the DNA, RNA was made and hopefully protein was made. Right? So whether the cell is producing 
at that moment from the DNA RNA that could be turned into the protein. Uh, and whether these expression correlated uh, with the protein interaction. Um, so the, the data what we, uh, what we had was a list of protein pairs and some sort of correlation measure that uh, there was zero correlation between the two genes. There was uh, 0.9 correlation. They were highly correlated, both these two partners. And some even were negatively correlated. When one was present, the other was absent. And the other was present, the other was absent. Negative correlation need to be minus 0.8. And, and then the question is, whether we can say that in these interacting pairs, there are more interactions if there, there is a high correlation in the gene expression. So what is profiting here is uh, 5,000 protein pairs, just by sorting how well they are correlating in the gene expression. So this blue line actually follows, follows this. These are zero correlation, these are negative correlation, and this is the positive correlation uh, the pairs, like 1,100 pairs had correlation that was better than uh, better than 0.7. So this is formulated as a distance from zero, that is a high correlation, positive correlation, to the uh, distance two, largest possible distance, that's negative correlation. So that zero plus one minus one but expressed as distance instead of correlation. So uh, these ones are highly correlated, um, while if you take random pairs, random pairs would have this red distribution. So basically saying that out of the blue ones, indeed they are enriched in this area, where there are so many pairs, 1,200 pairs, that have correlation that is better than 0.2, and we very rarely observe 0.2 in the random pair. So just uh, solve the data, plot it, compare uh, experimental expected and the actual data. This seems to be valid that these uh, rare few pairs that are interacting have high positive correlation. So there is quite a few of them, 1,200 pairs out of the 5,000 that had score better than 0.2 correlation. What is plotted on top of that is that the white dots that, highlights, that highlight those pairs that were previously known in the literature or databases. So that was not the first time to measure protein interaction, but that was the first whole genome approach measuring all, but yet there had been previously recorded, of course, uh, different protein complexes, some other more tedious approaches. And what you can then see is that just by plotting uh, in this good end or high end, indeed the white ones are also kind of enriched as compared to in here. So there was no known protein interaction pairs that had negative correlation in the gene expression level so far. And then, of course, you can uh, do different kind of follow-ups. Oh, let's validate some of these interactions in the labs. Let's put a 
PhD students or postdocs uh, try to tediously validate the value of these interactions. That's what they do in biology. They do go after these validations a lot. But from here, you get a number of hypotheses that may be or may not be so interesting uh, to go after certain validation. And validate you must, of course. The protein-protein interaction in the cell may, uh, may not be so relevant for you, but your drug-protein interaction is important because your drug will be interacting with a protein, uh, stopping the behavior of one protein, and you better know what drug you are taking. I mean, not to get high, but to get cured. But the ones that get you high have the same uh, effect. They block or activate some uh, genes or proteins. So uh, plotting, visualizing data, trying to find out the stories, trying to explore the data so that you can go after certain um, examples. Okay, here we are back to the XY when we have X and Y measurements. Maybe they are your Apollona uh, diameter and height or, or weight. Uh, this does not look like the height and weight, but it's X and Y measurements, and then you can do scatter plots. And of course, you will observe some, uh, some, you may visually try to think that this is a raising trend, Maybe these are outliers, or maybe there is some function behind there. Maybe it actually follows this distribution, or this kind of relationship between x and y. Um, so the question is trying to interpret the data, um, the data, and the correlations in the data. So if x and y, you get taller and you get heavier, the data is highly correlated. This is the negative correlation uh, between some x and y measurements. Uh, you get uh, I don't know, I don't want to be politically incorrect, whatever. Um, you get older your chance to get a, a mortgage from the bank. You have too, too little time left to pay back to the bank. Right? At some point it kicks in. You can't get the 30-year mortgage anymore. Um, and, uh, and this one was this example where there maybe is no correlation. It could be uh, zero uh, correlation. Uh, correlation is uh, expressed by the different uh, formula measuring the same thing, but you can calculate it really uh, by comparing your x, y pair, x, y, 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 you can compare this x, y pair, comparing x to the average of x, comparing y to the average of y, and then comparing overall distances from values to the, to the averages to basically the positive correlation is that both values are above their mean values, or uh, both values are below their mean values. 
if one is positive, the other is negative, then you get uh, negative. If one is above mean value, the other is below. Then you get negative correlation. Uh, so these data, these examples of the scatter plots have zero correlation in them. No, no correlation really. From X, you can't predict Y. This is from one of your homeworks. Uh, I don't uh, think that's you. Um, so, a balona diameter and weight, uh, you plot it. You can calculate the correlation, but that would be linear correlation. And this is the, the linear regression fit that you use just um, uh, from, the, from the package. And this is a really beautiful example that, of course, you could try to fit a linear curve on top of this data. But what you, what you can clearly observe somehow visually is that you would have better chance by fitting quadratic function in here. So what this uh, kind of boils down to is uh, what we want to have is from x, we want to predict y somehow. From, from x, we want to predict y. If they are correlated, then there is a chance that we can predict that. Uh, I don't say, say what that function is at the moment. If, if it's just a linear function, ax plus b and uh, ax plus minus b, uh, then you can predict y. And then you can measure over the data how far you are from this prediction. This one is out there. This makes a big uh, error or square error. So how far this is, I make that makes that square like area. And uh, then you can measure how good your fit is. So when we start talking about prediction, uh, then we have to find functions that allow us to go from one set of values to the other. Uh, but in order uh, to convince yourself in something, of course, it's uh, in the descriptive part, we try to characterize data, we try to plot it, we try to look at the data in different ways, and then figure out what to do, uh, what models to, to build. Okay. Um, the problem in here will be, how do we know which functions to apply? Linear? Is it, uh, is it quadratic? Cubic? Any order polynomial? True. If you have just uh, three points, then if I'm given a quadratic function, you can always fit some quadratic function over these points exactly. With the four points, because with two points you can always put a line through them, with three you can put a quadratic, with four points you can put cubic function through. So with n points, if you're given n minus one order polynomial, you can make a perfect function that goes through every point in here. Then it's overfit. Yeah. And it's just fit into every single point in the data. 
So that says that, uh, that tells you something, that it's not just to make the function or model that minimizes error in here, because you can make a zero error by giving enough power in the polynomial. So there has to be some sort of balance between what type of function and what type of models we are trying to fit in here uh, when we start predicting. So we, yes, we, are, we know that we do errors, but we control that, and we will be much better in predicting future by selecting the appropriate uh, models, uh, fitting them well, uh, because then we can uh, predict the future. How do you know that these are me not measurement errors or some outliers? So there can be so many different uh, causes. And when we start predicting something, this is almost like a target. We want to predict a target. Uh, nobody says that this y has to be exactly one value. It could be two-dimensional target, like this. Yeah. You want to be with the prediction precise. Of course, this is the best shooter, right? So this is very, very precise, low bias. You are hitting the center target. And everything is very much, uh, there is very little variance. You have, you have very precise, very low variance in your prediction. This one is actually, actually also very precise. If you, if you think of the um, kernel density, then this, the center of gravity is clearly on the, on, the, on the mark, right? Clearly. But there is a variance in there. Right? So the, the center is A is very correct, but it has a little bit of shatter in there. This one is incorrect uh, A, right? Very low variance. Very, very, everything is close together, but this has high biases off the mark. You have to correct the A. You have to correct the function that making this prediction. And this one has high variance, but also off the target. So in our, in, in the future, when we want to predict, we want to be precise, like in both of these two cases, uh, these are the off-target uh, predictions, sort of like, uh, we are not precise in that sense. But out of the two, ideally we would also like to be, have low variance so that we can predict very well every point. In here, on average, we do well. On average, the, the center is, is correct, but the prediction is not so, so exact yet. I would argue that the left ones are precise and the top ones are accurate. And left ones are... Precise, you yeah, yeah, well, well, this is uh, this is called this low variance. So, yeah. so predictions are have low variance. Say the left, uh, right, top one is precise. It's accurate, but not precise. Just the English thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a native speaker. So. <laughs> is anybody a native speaker in here? No. no, we are all doing the same. Body. <laughs> it's not good for English language that everybody tries to speak that and trivialize the language. Um, now, later we will, when we start talking about predictions, actually, we are not going into this, this.
is now that we, we start talking about the, the precision, accuracy, uh, the true positives, false positives, review, the binary classifications, how, how often they are correct. Can we find all the cases? Uh, how many of those that we identify are actually correct? So there are uh, many, uh, many of these kind of argumentation, like a, a screening. Uh, so if we screen people for some some uh, cancer test, if you are having highlighted to have a risk of cancer, what what is what you what you're after? You, you, you know that you can't be 100% accurate all the time. You want to capture as many as possible people who might have risk for cancer. But if you want to have as many as possible, then you invite everybody. Then you have included everybody that has risk. But then you have included also too many that actually should not be alerted. So there, are, there is going to be a balance between uh, how many you will indicate and how correct you think you will be. So, um, so this would be about the uh, kind of trying to predict the target. Uh, so X and Y, these are just examples of these uh, point clouds again, showing the correlation, zero correlation. There is zero correlation in here, zero in there. And this, since X, Y is fixed in here all the time, so there is, uh, Y doesn't change at all, so there is, uh, it's not defined, the correlation. But every slope that is a perfect, there is a function, inner function from x to y, all of these will have perfect uh, positive correlation, and all of these have perfect negative correlation. Just the parameters are different. And of course, by, visualiz by visualizing your data, you may observe totally different, uh, some interesting patterns. Right? That correlation doesn't tell you anything about. So correlation is just one way to try to see if there is some interesting features in your pattern in your, in your data. And of course, you would miss all of those cases, which are clearly interesting. Clearly, there is something behind it, some shapes, distributions. But it is not reflected by the correlation in the data, as defined by those formulas. Correlation is also, well, in a way, we are saying that we can do numerical, the box plots are numerical summaries of the data. The, the mean, max, median, uh, uh, these quantiles. Um, so we can do numerical summaries. We, now you know how well, you knew that beforehand, right? You can calculate average of values. You can cal calculate the variance or, or standard deviations in the data. Um, you can calculate correlation. By the formula. One number telling uh, correlation. Uh, this is 0 0.816 to third decimal of precision. So the high positive correlation 0 0.816. Uh, 0 0.816. And you can pick, based on this correlation, you can pick the perfect kind of linear regression line. Not, not necessarily perfect, perfect, but uh, you can pick the linear regression line that first approximates uh, this function. So y in here is 0.5 times x plus 3. That's a linear function. So if you are given these kind of numbers as a summary of the data, 
and you visualize the data. How does it look like? You know the means, you know the, the variances you need, you know the correlation, and you even know the function. You, you, you can fit the function. You can probably fit the function first, and uh, from uh, x, 0.5x, so at, at 1 there would be 0.5, 1 is in here, so it's not 1, it's, it's in here half, plus 3, so it would be uh, 3 and half. So from here, and then it will, it will grow at uh, half x. This is a function in here. And then the data is scattered around, around this uh, around this line. Um, so the the example is in here that you can you can calculate uh, some numerical uh, measures that you can compare which of the pair has higher correlation or which one has uh, different mean variances, but you still may not observe think what is in the data and this is it. For the four data sets look like having exactly the same computed parameters. This is what you probably thought of. Oh, this is a function uh, starts from, uh, from 4, 2 plus 3 at 5. At 4, it should be at 5. Yeah, this, is what, this is the line, and these are different uh, dots. But the dots could be also, x, y could be slightly different. It could be this and then one outlier. And one outlier brings everything up. You could observe, I think, with the, when you have outliers, your functions try desperately to fit that in. And then you skew it. Or it could be even something like this, just eight and whatever, and one is there, and this makes your correlation um, calculations uh, uh, give this value. So uh, basically this is to say that that we can trust uh, some numbers, but well, we, we should trust some numbers uh, to some extent, but you need to also visualize. So to tell the stories, uh, just giving numbers may not be enough. You have to, you have to tell the story by supporting that with some visualization. And if you want to, uh, this is direct from Wikipedia, you can, you can look at one, two, three, four, uh, these four data sets, one, two, three, four, and the XY pairs, so you can actually uh, plot the data and see if you, if you get exactly the same uh, linear regression fits and correlations, etc. calculate. So this is just four example data sets, x, y. Okay, so <laughs> we have uh, data. Usually we measure multiple parameters, x, y, z, uh, x, well, multiple attributes measured for one individual or object. So uh, x, y is the easiest to plot. 
you always have to think of higher dimensional spaces, but it's, it's of course hard. So x and y, if the price is very high, then of course customers don't buy. If the price is very low, then also customers don't buy because they don't believe in that uh, kind of product. So somewhere there must be sweet spot uh, price that is uh, trustable by people and they actually buy many products at this right price range. So just trying to say what is the right unit price at which you can sell. The function, what, 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 can, we, what, what can you do? Of course, as, as I tried to convince you before, you could say that, oh, let's, let's fit a polynomial function in here, and that estimates our uh, unit price and sales. From unit price, you can estimate the sales. Uh, however, this example in here is also showing that uh, uh, we can, if we don't know the functions uh, exactly up front, we don't know necessarily is it going to be, uh, is it going to be quadratic, uh, or, uh, cubic, or, or whatever other complexity. What, what has been done in here is some sort of a, like piecewise linear. If you look at the small set in here, then through those, you probably have locally relatively linear curves. So the S curve is something that is trying to fit, uh, look at a just small number of uh, values, like maybe 10, 50, 100, and fit locally linear, and then move with that moving window all the time, fitting locally the line as it, as it is, and then just Finding, uh, well, tying together the ends, smoothing the curve, and suddenly you have the uh, function over the, through this point of uh, cloud. So this is a this is a way how how you can somehow calculate your estimate your your function, uh, how that goes through the point of cloud by computationally simple approach, just looking at piecewise, sort of like small sliding windows, let's look at the small sliding windows and try to fit a simplest possible uh, function, linear function in this case. Uh, okay, I think we will come back to this uh, lowest because that will be useful in, in uh, quite soon. So, uh, a little bit of the um, so, uh, summary so far, histograms, box plots, uh, we have this quantile quantile plots, scatter plots, uh, local regression, so the, the linear regression is the simplest, but we, you can take a large data and do that locally uh, in piecewise uh, manner and just make it smooth, and that would estimate a little bit of the function. So, we started the last time from the why do we need to preprocess because data is uh, noisy, uncomparable. We want to somehow understand the data uh, and correct the data. We looked at how to describe data by different summaries, by plotting the visualizations, uh, by, by just looking at the data. Um, and now, once we know a little bit of intuition about the data, 
then we should uh, start talking about uh, data cleaning, data integrations, transformations. If we know how the data is skewed, maybe we can transform it to untake that skewedness, to correct for the errors. But not, not for the errors, to correct for these biases in the data. We can transform data by normalizing it uh, to remove uh, the, the strange behaviors. And then, of course, we also, when we start uh, uh, moving higher, then we want to reduce the amount of data by crystallizing to important features or uh, whatever we have described so that we talk about less uh, parameters of the data. So really, once we have looked at the data, we observe how clean or dirty the data is, then this data cleaning is really uh, one of the major issues. If the garbage goes in, garbage comes out. So how to make sure that, that we avoid garbage as much as possible, how to clean for the data. And uh, how, do we, uh, how do we clean the data is, we should try to understand how many missing values we have and possibly fill them in. Uh, identify these outliers, you have been already seeing the outliers, but they have to be eliminated or corrected. And uh, maybe we need to smooth out the noise from the data, replace those with a, with a better predictions. Maybe something was just measurement noise. Um, then correct for these inconsistencies. And uh, when you bring together multiple data sets, you will have redundancies. Uh, so the redundancies have to be solved. Data will be missing often by many different reasons. Not available, not measured, uh, errors in measurements, etc. And uh, of course, if you have the missing values, you could say somebody, let's hire somebody that tries to uh, put them in manually. It's costly, they need salary. Uh, you write a software that is good to do that, that work. Uh, Automatically better than human, maybe some cases. And of course, uh, then you have um, if the data is missing, then you don't know if that was not measured, that was not available, unknown, or some new uh, uh, class. So basically, we will start filling in, and I will bring you uh, the same example as in here. Uh, last time we discussed this. Uh, this is a simple example of uh, some uh, 19 uh, objects. And uh, uh, four measurements uh, done on those. So of course, the, the objects, attributes, or, or, or is it vice versa that our objects are, we have four objects and uh, 19 measurements. You have to know that up front, right? What what we are looking, what what are the what are the objects, what are the attributes? Uh, they could be both represented by exactly the same table, um, but the interpretation is different. And then we have this this very uh, simple simplistic example. We have some missing values. So missing values are on one hand needed if we start comparing later. What is the correlation between, uh, between this and this if you don't have the values? 
you don't have values and how do you calculate co uh, correlation as in the other pair that from which we have held the values. So some algorithm will totally break if we don't have those values. So we, we better put in something so that my, my standard program can work. If the program is value is missing, then uh, your program can't work. So we have the question from from X's that we have, we have to predict the missing values twice. But the problem is that we don't know exactly from which attributes we will predict the, the values that are missing. Um, and what type of functions. So, and I also tried to say that it could be something uh, that actually our, our, our mental goal is to uh, find these missing values. Um, if the example was this Netflix and maybe some movie star ratings, there are some large values, but most of these are from one to five stars, perhaps there's some higher values. Uh, the question might be, what would be the rate missing ratings for these people so that we can make the predictions, we can make the recommendations based on other people's uh, opinions. So collaborative filtering is kind of taking all the customers, knowing what they like, and for a new customer for which we have a few uh, ideas about their behavior, predicting their rest of the uh, behaviors or expectations. And for online shop like Amazon, this is the killer uh, feature. You go to Amazon, and uh, Amazon has one chance to provide you something as a shop assistant that you would buy. If you go to the big department store, nobody comes to you and offers you something on the plate. Right? They don't know what you are looking for. But Amazon knows already what to propose. So filling in missing values, predicting is important. <clears throat> and, uh, and it almost is like, like prediction, trying to find functions that from the available data tries to predict in, uh, the missing values. And uh, then we argued last time about whether the function is just that, oh, let's treat all the customers equal and just put equal weight for the customer. Or let's uh, uh, consider that one customer has equal taste for everything and put the mean value for that object as well. Right? Maybe if the data was measured, now it depends how the data was measured, what, what was really measured there. Or, and then, then you have these uh, simplistic, uh, simple approaches, try to fit some machine learning model or something, and one of these machine learning, simple machine learning models would be, oh, I have a huge database. I don't need to do anything else than I just go to my database, look up, try to figure out who are the most similar ones to this case. They have to have the same gender, age, previous uh, shopping history. I have already 100 examples who are similar. And let's take from these 100, predict what they would have done. K nearest neighbor, let's fetch 100 nearest neighbors and from there estimate the missing value. So it's like taking average, but not from everything, but by first matching k nearest neighbors, 
trying to match that uh, for females, you have, uh, I'm going to compare uh, females, uh, customers who have bought the same, uh, the same uh, perfume, uh, so which, which uh, I don't know, shampoo I will offer them. But it's doable. Very, very simple approaches uh, from the data. This, this is learning, uh, learning by example. From, we have exa enough examples of the, of the data. We just fetch the most similar ones, and from there, we estimate the missing value. So we, we predict by the most similar cases. If our database is large enough, we have enough similar cases, and then we already can do predictions. Um, and of course, you, there could be still so many more options. You can go into so much more details in the functions. What kind of functions model to build in order to try to squeeze in values? But if our functions are too complicated, you can fill in uh, every value. Then, uh, if it's uh, I don't know thousand parameters in this function for every customer, then you will have something that is overfitting and. Uh, it's not good. With thousand, you can fit anything. With thousand parameters, you can fit anything, but it may not be good for actual prediction because that was uh, overtrained. So when we start talking about machine learning, then this, uh, this uh, again, uh, the question about how complex is the model and how precise is the prediction, uh, that, that balance has to be found. And in there, you will use the simplest uh, idea is that let's use Occam's razor principle. How many of you know Occam's razor principle? Come on, it's in the movies. It's in the movie speed. It's a lot of homework and we don't have time for it. How old are you? You never watch movies? <laughs> Um, Occam's razor is uh, what, what, what was the movie? This uh, I get told. Uh, Occam's razor principle is that the, the I trust more the simple explanations than the very complex explanations. If simple theory, simple explanation can explain me what I see. I put trust on that. Don't talk to me about the chain of events that are all so unlikely that uh, what everything happened to you while doing your homework. You did all the homework, but then the cat spilled over the water on the oven, and then the fire was there. And, and in the morning, uh, the cleaning lady took something away. Don't tell me that, right? So the complex explanations are not to be trusted. The simple one, uh, the simple ones are more. Trustworthy. The simple uh, model that you can fit on the data, good enough, are the ones that are the best in the predictions. Okay, um, so this is this was about the missing values. We we can have some simple functions ideas. Let's just try to estimate it from the uh, most. Uh, likely similar cases. Um, the noise is something that can be outliers or, or measurement errors or so. so 
outliers, you can uh, somehow, you will have many ways how you can get this uh, noise, right? So, um, with, the no with the noise, you can try to eliminate if there are um, uh, clear outliers or try to smooth, fit these functions, try to smooth. Uh, once you see the data, then you can somehow decide what to do. So we talked about regression. So maybe, maybe we just provide one x and say that y will be calculated from x to some precision. So we already get rid of x, y pairs. We just keep x in the data and say that y we can estimate by some smoothing function. We will be looking at, uh, at uh, well, histograms are like beaming. Yeah? I'm in the, in the first uh, beam, second beam, third beam. I don't, think, I don't care about what is the precise 17 uh, decimal points precision in, in the measurement. It's not important. I don't believe in 17 uh, decimals in precision. If you are in the first beam, that's good enough for me. That also reduces the data a lot. Uh, regression functions. Uh, clustering is, is grouping customers. Now, I, I would say that the grouping, so if we get all the data about the customers, we can group them in, in these and these, well, depends less or more, whatever is our decision. Uh, this group of customers would behave like that, right? We, when we want to look at the missing values, we use only that cluster to start with. For these customers, we, we, we get very little help from, the, from that cluster. So cluster is a group of uh, similar uh, objects. Uh, and of course, the human, human checks after the visualizations. Okay, the beginning was like histograms, I sort of said. But, ah, okay, uh, now I remember what was coming. Yeah. If we have different uh, products and with different prices, uh, 25 bucks, 15 bucks, etc., so you could say we could uh, do it like let's try to group them in, in three different uh, bins: the cheap, mid-range, and high expensive stuff, right? But how do you how do you come up with this uh, cheap, mid-range, expensive? Where do you put the boundary? It's like this of them. You can. Uh, we can say that they are equal, equal in depth. Uh, let's look at the, the bins so that we have the same number of products in each category. For cheap ones, for mid-range, uh, for expensive stuff. And then whatever, this is like one time. This is exactly sort of like uh, the cheap, mid-range, expensive. And once we have these, then you can uh, replace the first bin, sort of like say that let's take the average of these uh, of these values. Instead of having the bin the price, you can put in the whatever in the same bin. Everything costs nine euros. Right? Um, later, you can just say in the first bin, or in the first bin, you could say that uh, the the very end, the cheapest ones are fours. So these are closer to the four. Uh, nine is closer to four rather than nine is close to five, fifteen. So the ones that are 
all different variants. Exactly the same person, uh, William or Billy Smith, born on 2nd of January 73, but all the, the data that you get in looks different for computer in the beginning. Okay, and for many of these cases that you have lots of different, this is now, uh, yeah. So if, if you look at the, we, we are dealing with the medical notes from the doctors, from the different hospitals, and general practitioners, the family doctors. And trust me, the different hospitals or, or practitioners or different doctors may use slightly different conventions for naming things. So there are many different ways to, to, name, uh, to name the same thing. One uses one convention, the other uses different convention. And then how do you bring them together? Um, so there is one uh, tool where you can take huge Excel sheets or table CSV files. You can upload. Uh, it was originally Google refined. So you just have the tabular data. And that helps you to sort of like unify or do conversions with your values, let's harmonize the names. All of these should be used as, as this value. So basically, manually doing this kind of refinement of the data. Um, so it used, used to be Google refined, now it's open refined, and uh, you can, there are books about this, uh, so you can actually take the the uh, spreadsheets of data that can come from different sources and try to harmonize it uh, to help the manual process in this kind of conversion. Um, so, so these are converting sort of like some text labels with the others, or, or, or uh, kind of uh, making sure that all the all the. Uh, values are either integers or, or floating points or, or persons. Uh, so basically, trying to make harmonize the data. But that does not do exactly the full normalization. So, what would be normalization? Um, these are four series of data. Um, so, how do we make uh, the values comparable? How does this value compare to this value? Or no, let's 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 compare this value, this and this, right? Or oh, this is larger than this value. But if you would overlay the distributions, so this is clearly outlier to the low end, and this is clearly high value in this data, right? So by normalization, what is usually meant is we want to make the data comparable more. So we take, we take this data set and make it comparable to this data set by trying to overlay them. Okay? Just make sure that they have the same mean and variation. And then you can talk about how many standard deviations is one higher than the mean or whatever. So there are ways to normalize data just by subtracting mean so that every, everything is around uh, symmetric around zero, subtract mean, which is minus 0 0.38, and then it becomes, it brings up this value. So then you have the same mean at least, and 
and then you can still see how, what to do, how to deal with the spray. The green ones are more highly spread than the, these ones. Maybe we want those normalized for the same spray variation in the data. But what uh, if all these four groups are in a single table, then how do I decide uh, it's, uh, if it's group? If you don't know which one is group. Yeah, like uh, suppose that all these four groups are in the same table, then how do I know if this purple do, X do the mind exercise? Do the mind exercise in, in, the, in the current home group. There are boys and girls, different ages. Take one age group and do not use the boys or girls uh, feature in them. Try to uh, plot boys and girls as is equal. And try to observe whether you can tell who are the boys and who are the girls. You, you can do that. Uh, and if you do this kind of mind exercise, you can maybe even uh, see how well you could predict whether this, uh, this height and weight was a girl or boy. But like for example, there's one blue and one purple thing almost together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I have to distinguish in such case. No, of course not. No. But you can observe the biases. Well, this is, a, this is another biology lesson. I, I was talking about the co-expression. Uh, the co-expression is actually measured is you from the cells you have the you have the cell. But somehow there is a DNA, RNA, and protein. What uh, how to measure the RNA is that first RNA is taken out one from one group of cells and from other group of cells RNA is taken out and we want to compare the RNAs. Which RNAs are present and at which rate. So these uh, uh, two sets of RNAs are labeled. Well, that is the technology was invented in the mid uh, 90s and made very uh, popular another uh, different generation. But then it was taken RNA, putting the green fluorescence label for one, red fluorescence label for the others, and you have just a mix of green and red. But what is uh, how do you measure? Because the different RNAs are, have different uh, sequence, uh, some of the sequence in here is equal to the sequence in there. How do you compare how much is in one and the other, the same sequence? So these are shown over the microarrays where there are ready-made spots, which correspond to the complementary RNA, the complementary sequence. So the RNA is made, made into single-strand DNA. This has a single-strand DNA. And by biology, you know that two single strands, if they are complementary, they get prepared together to make a two that two um, um, two stranded DNA. So by just having the perfect complementary match, they are bring, brought together and made complementary. And then on the same spot, you have many single stranded DNAs, and many RNAs from both will end up in that spot. But what can be measured by laser scanning is if that spot uh, glows more red or green. So by two wavelengths, laser scans red wavelengths gets intensity, scans green wavelength gets intensity, and then you can start comparing the green and red intensities. That is your um, XY value. 
x intensity in one data, y intensity in the other data, or that's g. And then you can take the intensities, uh, you can co compare ratios, how much is one value larger than the others. Uh, this is uh, uh, the ratio between red and green. You can take a logarithm, which essentially is the same as logarithm of red minus logarithm of two. You can compare what is the what is the red-green intensity, the ratio, or the multiply them. So what is the, the total amount of red-green signal? Uh, you can you can calculate those, and this is xy plot, which is the overall intensity and the difference. Zero is that the red and green were equal, so the difference is zero. So this is equal, and then those are clearly higher in in red channel, so this G represents a gene that is really active in the red sample, and this one is the gene that is active in the green sample. Right? But you see the bias. Most of the genes should have sort of 50-50 ratio. And somehow the bias is such that in the low intensity end, the green signal gets more dominant. So this value, if this is green, doesn't mean that the green is overexpressed. You have to normalize it. Uh, the average intensities have to be equal, and then you see that this is higher than the other. So basically fitting the same function kind of curve and trying to normalize it. So this is taking these xy values by looking at uh, not xy, but uh, x times y and x divided by y. On xy, they would look like this. xy, they would look like this, and maybe you also in here would observe the skew. This is different. This is one data, this is another, but the same xy. You can observe one and the other, and there is some different, uh, different difference in there. Maybe, maybe these are different batches, maybe there are different labs. Uh, you can compare, but you, you can see that the xy's of the red and but the two uh, sets of samples is somehow different. So if you want to com start comparing the distributions, we better overlay the two data sets so that they are comparable. From laboratory A, from laboratory B, or done on Monday, done on Tuesday, we want to make them comparable. So the goal of the normalization is, is to somehow take these uh, uh, distributions and make them as much equal to each other as possible. Then we can start arguing about uh, whether the value is high or low. So normalization can use the transform data so that it's more comparable. If that was a before normalization, you can fit some curve function and sort of like make sure that the average in these bins will be around one. In this, in this case, if you want one-one ratio, then the average will be around one. And now you can take this data and convert it into this data. So that these values in here will be now those values in there. So data transformation normalization really tries to make the data more comparable. Once you observe the biases in the data, we want to make them comparable. 
Um, let's see. Um, okay, we are in the pre-processing, cleaning, normalization. Sometimes we want to reduce the amount of data by by different these kind of uh, uh, attractions like histograms, the binning, clustering, etc. Uh, data cubes. Uh, we will we will uh, study the data cubes later in form. The values, as you know, can be uh, some nominal, so just color, two colors. You don't say that one is uh, uh, larger color than the other, but the ranks can be ordered or unordered. The, the higher rank officer is, is a category, but you can say the higher rank, uh, rank officer than the, compared to the lower rank. And then you can have continuous parameters, which can be real, real point numbers, integers, etc. So you can have start having differentization of the numbers into the discrete values, uh, into the nominal ordinal categories, uh, and all of these will uh, reduce the amount of uh, uh, data. If you're given, go and do some study. Ask opinion of people about whatever. And you, you need to do that for, for different age groups. How would you put age groups? Up to 20, 20, what? Can you, can you really say that the opinion of 10-year-old and 20-year-old is, is equally comparable? steps. Uh, first five, uh, or five, five. So you would you would go to, uh, 20 to 25, 25 to 30, 30 to 35, etc. Right? By age. Maybe you don't have so many examples. If you have only one example from 35 year old. Well, it depends how many people you can ask. Uh, so age is something that you can relate to somehow. But if there if there is just some number that you don't know. How would you deal with the salary? Who is highly paid? The, the, how would you how would you classify the salary ranges? I would uh, say that uh, those who are in their twenties would get probably less salary. No, but but, but the question was like, what, what is the uh, uh, income sort of salary range? Would you put uh, uh, zero to five hundred, five hundred to I would do some logarithmic Maybe. Because and, there and are. If the salary is not enough, then how would, you, how would you deal with the, with the profit of the company? That can also be negative. Companies can make loss. I would think that uh, those values that are close to zero, those are like small intervals, and then those that are like large values have like large intervals. So, so we can go ad hoc and try to figure out really manually what, what the bounds would be. For one type of question, we use one ranges. For some other, maybe we use some other ranges. We want to have groups of people. But, but what is in here is you can have different uh, age groups. For example, a vision is somehow better. There is no very correct answer, right? You could do 0 to 20, 0 to 18. You will have different, uh, different number of groups, different number of uh, uh, people in these groups. Uh, the question is how to do this uh, somehow more systematically for more for almost any data type. Um, 
we are running out of time now. I'm not going to go there, but but the idea here is to to try to fit some simplistic ways how we can how many different things you can follow. If if we, if we do by five age, five years, we will have uh, twenty groups of different pages, pages from zero to one hundred, and some people remove it. So twenty one. 22 groups. That's too many. So, so normally you would like to have something that is relatively small number of groups to deliver the messages, uh, right? And uh, and this is sort of one of these example three, four, five rules. So whenever we get a split to groups, then we can try to split in, in three groups, four groups, or five groups, depending what are the value ranges. If it naturally uh, is divisible to five groups, my values are between 0 and 10, it's 5 groups of size 2. If my values are between uh, 4 and 7, no, 4, 5, 6, 4, four five, six ranges, then I can do 3 groups. Easy. So depending on what, what are the real values, I can decide whether I'm split it into 4, uh, uh, four groups, three, uh, 5 groups, uh, 3 groups, depending on the values. And uh, this kind of discretization, again, a little bit ad hoc rule, but these kind of things can be done uh, semi-automatically or purely automatically. But I will stop it here, and uh, we continue in a week. Uh, the previous night, I'm going to come back from uh, from Edinburgh, so I hope my trains and cars and everything will be running smoothly. Uh, if I will be late and in the morning, I hope I can send email. The night I'm just through the I'm just coming back. Uh, from See you next week. Thank you.